But I got to imagine in that that 30 years of Cartoon Network, not only have you had your ups, you've had your downs, you've had your peaks and your valleys, man. And you've had the times that you're most happy about and probably most sad about. Overall, if you could sum up Cartoon Network in one word, one sentence, one phrase, one paragraph, really, what would you sum up your experiences with Cartoon Network as? Unique. Yeah. They are as unique as their programming. Uh, I mean that in a positive and negative way. You know, when when things aren't going well, they're especially not going well. Um, Adult Swim is its own piece of magic. Uh, I've mentioned to you before that Mike Lazo, who was the founding programmer of Cartoon Network, is not only a brilliant programmer, but turned out to be a brilliant creative soul himself with his creation of Space Ghost coast to coast and and all of the spin-offs that you know have come out out of there but you know when you look at all those decades of cartoon network they really truly embodied those two words cartoon and network mm-hmm. they had the widest range of programming in the space that you could imagine you know everything from huckleberry hound to tsunami and everything in between um, what he brought forth with Robot Chicken, what we brought forth with um, everything that Gendy Tartakovsky's done from, you know, from Dexter's to his production of Powerpuff Girls to his creation of Samurai Jack, you know, his, his latest cartoons. Uh, where else... Have you seen such an original array of creative talent that has populated our industry and beyond um, and kept so many people happy over the years? Hey guys, it's your host Julian. This week I sit down with Fred Seifert, Hanna-Barbera's last president. We chat the 30-year anniversary of Cartoon Network, the trials and tribulations throughout the three decades, where Fred thinks the animation industry is headed, and so much more. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Fred, third time returning guest, and we're talking Cartoon Network. Man, how are you? Awesome. Oh. I'm great, Julian. How are you? It sounds like you're on fire. Oh, man, all in the best possible way. If anybody's on fire right now, it's Cartoon Network in a both bad and good way. However, since we're talking 30 years of Cartoon Network, you were a part, a huge part of that 30 years. Um, I mean, without without your tutelage and without your 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 driving the cartoon cartoon and what a cartoon. And then I can't remember what they did. World cartoon premieres, world premiere cartoon. Uh, without that initiative, we don't have the renaissance of cartoons, man. So. First thoughts, whenever I say this, what is it like or what do you think about when you think 30 years of Cartoon Network? What comes to your mind? I'm really, really, really old. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You got to remember, I walked into Hanna-Barbera as an employee there the first time when I was 40 years old. Mm -hmm. So uh, I don't know about you. But I couldn't even imagine being 30 or 40, no less 70. So that's what I think about, you know. That being said, I think, like, it's been an amazing era. You know, I have called a variety of times the new golden age of cartoons. And uh, between 
Nickelodeon, Fox, and MTV and Cartoon Network, you know, we really have lived through a new golden age of cartoons, you know, pure and simple. Absolutely, man. When you think about that, that those four, those four companies that you just mentioned, obviously you're going to have both positive and negatives from each one that you can take away from. Um, sure. And I ask this question to a lot of animators, voice actors, writers, and stuff like that. But I got, I'm going to ask you the same question. When you sit down and you lay your head on a pillow at the end of the night, is there one that you feel the most satisfaction for, whether it's emotional, spiritually, mentally, physically? Do you have one of those companies or one of those initiatives that you started and ran that you absolutely, that is the one, that is like your golden your golden ticket, I guess, or is that, that's the one you look at as the most fondest, I guess. You know, the, the, that's really hard to say. Um, clearly for me, the seed was MTV, mm -hmm. right? And I think what we were able to accomplish in MTV is to set the stage that you didn't have to do just more of what had been, but you could start to invent what would be. Mm -hmm. And I think MTV in its early years, in its first decade, let's say, really set the stage for everyone else in the business to say, let's figure out what's right for this audience, what's right for this moment, rather than, oh, we're in the TV business, we need to do what TV channels do. Mm -hmm. Nickelodeon sort of furthered that, at least it was for me, and then when you get to Cartoon Network, you know, Betty Cohen had been my client at MTV and Nickelodeon. Um, in fact, one of the first calls I got from her about uh, when I went to Turner and she was there at Cartoon Network, she said, I, I, I don't know what we should do. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, you know, you always said that we had to be first. I said, okay, got to be first. She said, well, we're second. I said, what, what are you talking about? And she said, well, Nickelodeon's the first kids network. We're the second kids network. And I was like completely confused. I said, Betty, you're the first cartoon network. And she said, yeah, but will anyone care? I said, people love the first. The first of anything is great. That's why you need to be first. So, you know, those experiences that I got in those other places and that Betty got, you know, to be fair, um, set the stage for Cartoon Network to find its own way, to find its own path that was really different than anyone else that was out there, for better and worse, by the way. Sometimes it's better, sometimes it's worse. <laughs> Is there a moment in your tenure with Cartoon Network and Hanna-Barbera that you're most proud of? Yeah. Um, the day I got there, I knew I wanted to do a series of shorts. Mm -hmm. And I think you and I have talked about this before, yes. but the Leonard Malton and Jerry Beck book, um, you know, the title better than me. Of my That was my spark for understanding what I needed to do in cartoons. And when I walked in the door, I told my boss that that's what I wanted to do. And he told Ted Turner and they went, no way, can't do it. So about, I don't know, 18 months, two years later, I was able to convince them that this is what we should do. And I think it really, for me personally, opened up 
why I needed to be in the cartoon business, right? Because I'm always looking for why me? Mm-hmm. What is it about me that makes this worthwhile for them? And two, that it took what had been the seeds over at Nickelodeon of re-sparking people's views of what cartoons could be. And then in my terms, industrializing it so that it was supercharged. Yeah. So convincing Ted Turner that uh, what a cartoon was going to be a golden ticket for Cartoon Network is probably my favorite moment there. That's a good moment. No less, no, no less the great cartoons and the great creators that have come out of it, obviously. Now, we... I don't think we talked too much on the um, I know we talked on pitching and having the creators come in and then you guys were you would take them on the road or you would have focus groups to see which cartoon was going to make it, which one wasn't, which one needed work. And Betty broke it down a little bit more. Uh, you know, she told us there was a green, yellow and red light. I think it was green, yellow and red. Or it might have been green, yellow and orange. I can't remember, but I think it was those three colors. Um, and green was obviously good to go you know maybe a little bit of supervision but they've they've got the they've got everything there that they need yellow needs some work red was like completely break it down retool it and everything like that um with I, some- I by the way i i never heard that that was no? internal at Car- that was internal at cartoon network and had nothing to do with at least the decisions i was making beautiful um was there a grading system so let's let's talk specifically on how you would do it was there no you wouldn't have a grading system when when they would come in and pitch uh were you guys going or having them come you know directly to the office would you guys go and you know shop some of the up-and-coming animators at school how would you guys kind of bring in people obviously you had some people there from Hanna-Barbera that were under Cartoon Network as well but when you guys started looking for new talent would you guys just swim around the pool or was it word of mouth how did that work you know, um, it, it worked in the most traditional way possible. Mm-hmm. One, I went and talked to every human being who would sit with me and let me tell them what it was I was hoping for. Yeah. That was one. Two, we sent out a press release around the world mm-hmm. and invited people to come in and pitch. And three, we sent development staff out to various kinds of places as close as Cal Arts in Valencia, as far away as Providence, Rhode Island at the Rhode Island School of Design. Um, and we sort of surveyed what was surveyable in the pre-internet era, mm-hmm. you know? And, but most of the pitches came in, I mean, literally when we announced by press release, this new effort, I think over time, we got 5,000 storyboard pitches, full six-minute storyboard pitches. We didn't say yes until somebody actually pitched it in person. And that, in those days, in person could literally be in person Mm -hmm. or on rare occasions, um, Uh, We did a couple of video conferences from Europe. Bet you that was expensive. No, I I mean, it wasn't at the time. I don't remember exactly what the tech was. It was, let's put it this way. It was a lot funkier than Zoom. I'll leave it at that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's interesting, man. Was there any, now I had this question. So I, I, 
I'll make sure I, I reference the person that wrote it in. I think at least on this one, uh, it might've been one of the other three executives that I've had coming on or, or I've already had on that this question has come up. Um, but looking at it now, obviously 30 years is a very long time ago, right? Is when Cartoon Network happened. 25 years ago, roughly is generally where the, were no, a little bit later than that. So I think it was like 28 years ago was when everything started rolling out for the what a cartoon and the cartoon cartoon. Um, so looking back at it now, is there anything that you wish you would have greenlit? Anything come to mind that you wish it would have went farther than that pilot? You know, I thought a lot of them were really good. Mm -hmm. um, I will tell you one that I missed entirely. And luckily, a couple of years later, I was able to um, pick it up and it turned out great. Um, there's a director named David Wasson, Dave Wasson. Right. Um, he most recently did Cuphead. Um, he was a supervising director at Netflix. Um, he had pitched me a cartoon, and I, I sort of quickly said no. I mean, I don't think he even came and pitched in person. I mean, he pitched in person to me, but I don't think, um, you know, it showed up in the room. And when I left um, Hanna-Barbera and started Frederator, I had lunch with Gendy one day and I said, is there anybody I should be talking to? He said, well, you know, you already talked to this guy, Dave Wasson, and he's like amazing. You should really talk to him again. And so we went to lunch and I said, OK, so what happened? He said, oh, you know, I did it all wrong. I pitched you all wrong. I brought you in a production storyboard which is really slow. And I don't think you really understood like what it was I was trying to do, which is I was trying to do a cartoon that felt kind of like Mr. Bean. Mm -hmm. um, and so he, he came and repitched it. It was called um, Max's uh, Special Problem. And it turned out to be one of the best shorts of the 250 I've done over the years. Yeah, It was like unbelievable. In fact, it was so great. I said, Dave, we have to put this together as a series. And he said, please, 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 let's not. <laughs> and I was like, what? And I'm like, what? He said, making this six minutes almost killed me. Holy shit, really? It is so much work to do this kind of cartoon. I don't know how we would do it as a series. Mm -hmm. So he might feel differently today, but that's how he felt back in the day. Yeah, uh, it's funny. Dave, Dave was on a couple a couple months back. Uh, fantastic, because I remember talking to him. I was like, dude, I remember where I was at when Time Squad, his his first one uh, popped. And I was like, dude, I literally faked being sick so I could stay home and watch watch cartoons. And I remember I see this one. And he said up. he said, oh, you were the one. Yeah, <laughs> you were the one who watched it. <laughs> But I appreciate you faking faking out school so you can uh, so you can stay home and watch the cartoons. But yeah, man, that guy was so great. We talked a lot of Cuphead. Cuphead is a phenomenal show too. Um, I didn't know oh, yeah. it, was a, it was a video game beforehand, but watching it, I'm like, oh, this is this is funny as hell. And then having him on and him break down the sensibility and going in, it was like a, his love letter. What I do, this is a love letter to you guys. But Cuphead was a love letter to the cartoons he grew up on. It's a phenomenal cartoon. So I, I really wanted to do it. I, I actually, it's one of the very few things that I've gone after that got away. Yeah, man. Well, if we could get that time machine, like the head with time squad, maybe we can redo that one. Um, yeah. So like <laughs> I said, that, that, that guy was such, such a cool dude and such a great time, man. Uh, another he thing is. that we didn't, yeah. Another good thing we didn't really talk about too much. I mean, uh, 
you kind of happen to stumble along this little cartoon called Adventure Time. There's a lot of fans that watch this and have been asking and asking and asking and asking. I know I completely steered clear of it the first two episodes we had on because I felt like it would go not in the weeds in a bad way, but it would get pretty deep because you you were there from the inception. So, I mean, let's just start it off, man. How did Penalty Ward come and Fred, I got the show. How did that all transpire? You know, again, fairly simple. Um, at Hanna-Barbera, I started working with a guy called Eric Coleman, who was in our animation art department. Mm -hmm. He literally, his first job was putting on a white cotton glove and wiping off fingerprints on the cartoon cells that we would sell to, you know, art galleries. So um, he worked with me in various capacities over the years and became the head of Federator Development. And as part of that, he would go every year, there's a junior screening and a senior screening at CalArts. Mm -hmm. So at the junior screening one year he went, he looked, he saw Penn's uh, first student film and introduced himself to Penn and said, hey, let's stay in touch. A year later, he went to the senior screening, saw another of Penn's student films and said, hey, you have to come and pitch. So it turns out that the earliest version of um, Adventure Time uh, that I've never seen the, the pitch had been pitched to Nickelodeon who were trying to copy our shorts yeah. thing. They did these one minute shorts things, which were not only useless, but stupid about the way they went about doing it. And they rejected it. Fine. Got it. They came, uh, he came to us a month after he graduated from CalArts and pitched Eric and Kevin Coldy, our producer, uh, the creator of um, Castlevania, mm -hmm. by the way, and uh, probably a Nick executive named Claudia Spinelli. They all really liked it. I was living in New York at the time and I would come to town once a month and on the day that I would come in, they would like gather up, you know, all the things they thought might be good to repitch to me. Mm -hmm. And Penn came in and pitched. I have to say in certain ways, the weirdest pitch I've ever had because um, he came in with a guitar. Really? And at the, yeah. And at the beginning of the pitch just started singing. And I felt like I was in, um, you know, that movie, There's Something About Mary with Jonathan Richmond, you know, um, sort of narrating along the way. I'm like, okay, I've never had a pitch like this. So he, he pitched Adventure Time. Um, everybody laughed. And at the end of the day, we got together on all of the pitches that had happened. And we got to Adventure Time. And I said, oh, well, we can't be doing that one. And they're like, what? And I said, well, you know, this guy's a month out of school. Like, we're not here to make student films. We make world-class films here. And, you know, uh, we're not making, like, you know, art films. And like an idiot, I broke my first rule, which is executives know nothing, including me, <laughs> right? And I was looking at the, I, you know, I was probably, let's see, at the time, I was in my mid-50s. Like, what kind of idiot in his mid-50s is greenlighting cartoons for kids? And um, I thought I knew something because we'd had successes. 
you know, and I looked at the art style and it didn't look like the things I thought would be successful. What an idiot. I'd always been saying, I don't care if somebody pitches us pipe cleaners. If it's good, we'll do it. So luckily, Eric and Kevin, who loved the pitch, said, look, you, you, we have to do this. And I'm like, well, why? And they said, well, look, usually in a pitch, you have a fake laugh. You try to make everybody feel like you're feeling good about their thing and stuff. You know, in this one, you had a real laugh. And there I was, I was busted. Yeah. But to sort of cover myself, I said, well, let me meet Penn in person and let me find out a little bit about him and all that. So Penn came in a couple of days later and I met him and I was like, okay, great, we'll do it. In my mind, it was one of 39 shorts we were going to do. And on a good day, 37 of them were going to fail and fail in the sense of not getting the series. I have to say in that group of 39, we had some fabulous shows that should have been series, but I just figured, okay, one more. They're really into it. I did laugh. That was right. And immediately as he started work, you know, I realized what an idiot I had been. And when we got the film back, it was like, like, duh, yeah. you know, like this is magic. And then of course, and then, of course, no one at Nickelodeon was interested in actually making it a series. At least nobody in power was interested in making it into a series. That's wild when you think about how popular that show not was, is. So I've been dressed in the same way since I was uh, since I was 16. Just some kind of cartoon T-shirt, cargo shorts and funky socks, man. So I 100 percent agree. If somebody put a character of me, I'd, I'd look. I'd probably hate it because I look goofy. I don't like the character things because I've had a couple of my mom likes getting those for Christmas for some reason. I understand why she does. It. <laughs> she likes getting a character of me and the kids and my sisters and brothers. So every sure. year, that's what she's always asked for. She's asked for like a painting, you know, from the fair, um, which is I like I said, it's weird. But it, hey, mom wanted it. So mom got it, man. She gave me everything. So it's least I can do is fabulous thing I can. Right. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, as we as we start to almost transition to the fans questions, because like I said, we got quite a bit, man, uh, and they're very good questions. Um, looking back, like I said, over the 30 years, we kind of had that, you know, retrospective. You said, man, I just feel old. Right. But I got to imagine in that that 30 years of Cartoon Network, not only have you had your ups, you've had your downs, you've had your peaks and your valleys, man. And you've had the times that you're most happy about and probably most sad about. Overall, if you could sum up Cartoon Network and one word, one sentence, one phrase, one paragraph, really. What would you sum up your experiences with Cartoon Network as? Unique. Yeah. They are as unique as their programming. Uh, I mean that in a positive and negative way. You know, mm. when, when things aren't going well, they're especially not going well. Um, Adult Swim is its own piece of magic. Uh, I've mentioned to you before that Mike Lazo, who was the founding programmer of Cartoon Network, is not only a brilliant programmer, but turned out to be a brilliant creative soul himself with his creation of Space Ghost, Coast to Coast, and, and all of the spinoffs that, you know, have come out out of there. But, you know, when you look at all those decades of Cartoon Network, they really truly embodied those two words, cartoon and network. Mm -hmm. They had the widest range of programming in the space that you could imagine. 
you know, everything from Huckleberry Hound to Toonami and everything in between. Um, what he brought forth with Robot Chicken, what we brought forth with um, everything that Gendy Tartakovsky's done from, you know, from Dexter's to his production of Powerpuff Girls to his creation of Samurai Jack, you know, his, his latest cartoons. Uh, where else have you seen such an original array of creative talent that has populated our industry and beyond um, and kept so many people happy over the years? Absolutely, man. Without car Cartoon Network is a zeitgeist, man. There's so much that you said it's crossed so many barriers, so many hurdles. It's flooded into live action. It's flooded into regular life, man. I see I never as a little kid, maybe I'm just putting this self, putting putting this on my six-year-old, eight-year-old, ten-year-old self back then when I was really deep in the Cartoon Network. You couldn't pull me away from the TV on Friday nights, man, because Friday nights, Saturdays. Any chance that I got, if I could say, mom, I'm not feeling good, I'm sick, I'm playing hooky, I'm staying home and watching Cartoon Network, man. I don't know if I've ever told you the story, man, but uh, when Ed, Ed, and Eddie, this is after after you'd left, but Ed, Ed, and Eddie comes on. I had gotten a bird, and fans apologize, but this is a fun story. Uh, I had a bird, and his name was Nacho, He's a little cockatiel, right? As a fat kid, still a fat kid now, but I, I loved eating food, so his cheeks were really rosy like nacho cheese, right? So I was like, ah, I'm going to name him Nacho. So for Every day, whenever I would get up at 6.30 in the morning, 6 o'clock, uh, Ed and Eddie was generally the first cartoon on on Cartoon Network. And I don't know if you remember that theme song, but it started out with a whistle. It went, damn, I can't whistle. And that's how it would start. So yeah. every day for a year, my bird was inundated with this soundtrack, right? So <laughs> Mark's, mark the first day of summer, right? I'm sitting in bed trying to sleep, and at 6.01, this bird eyes popped open and starts whistling this song i was like you son of a bitch but it was the coolest thing ever because my bird whistled <laughs> in any theme song you know so you guys not only inundated us as little kids with how beautiful this network is could be and should be barring what's happening now i do not like to get as negative on the show as i try to be as positive as possible barring what's going on now with the complete just purging of cartoon network shows and creators and everything that's kind of going on with hbo netflix hulu's doing it amazon's look, doing look, it let, let's let's look at you just hit the nail on the head the media industry is in chaos yes and it and it's no more a cartoon network than it is at nickelodeon than it is at hbo than it is at paramount plus than it is at netflix etc 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 at disney the, you know, when I got into cable TV, I was one of the earliest employees in modern cable TV at MTV. Mm -hmm. We thought we were going through a revolution then. In retrospect, all we were going through was an evolution, which is we were taking what television was. We were giving you a lot more and we were sorting it differently, but it was still television. Yeah. The modern era of streaming is not television as we know it. You know, and nobody, including the leaders, the so-called leaders at Netflix, have figured it out. And we're going to be going through this rough period for years and years, probably long after I get out of the business. Mm -hmm. Right. Because 
no one has figured out how it all works. Yeah. So God bless Cartoon Network. God bless all the rest of them. Everyone is figuring out it isn't pleasant. It certainly isn't pleasant for people who do what I do and my creators. But it's inevitable when you go through a revolution that there's like a lot of blood on the ground yeah, and great new things come out of it. Absolutely, man. I mean, I don't know how many times I've seen it, but throughout all of my travels, uh, one of the prettiest places that I've ever been in my life is Washington State. My first duty station was station Bremerton, Washington. My wife was, I want to say, probably five months pregnant with our oldest son, Hayden. And we got a three-day weekend. I've, it's crazy when I think about it. I got more time off in the military than I ever have as a civilian working. <laughs> But so I got a three day weekend when I was in when I was in the Navy and then we we go up, I think it was Mount Olympia or, you know, something Olympia or Olympus or something like that beautiful big mountainscapes Mm -hmm. up there in the Pacific Northwest. And we we drove all the way up to the top of the mountain and you could look in those big binoculars and you could see out and there was a there was a lady there and then she was like you see all of that and I said yeah she I was like why what happened and she was like lightning struck. It was very dry and it burnt everything to the ground for hundreds of acres. And I was like, wow, that's really sad. And she's like, you would think it's sad, but think about it this way with everything that was burnt down to the ground. She was like, zoom in on those binoculars. What do you see? I was like, I see a lot of green. She's like, exactly. You have to burn a forest to regrow a forest. She was like, this forest in 20 years is going to be more abundant, bigger, greener than it ever was before the fire. And that's what I equate what's going on right now. Obviously it is very sad. I hope you're planning your trip back. Oh, I would so love to check it out. I, I'm hoping so, because see. that She's was in right. 2000, 2009 ish, 2010 um, was when we were there last. I tried to get my wife to move back. She's like, I rained all the time. I don't want to go back. I was like, I know, but I'm a redheaded. She's dude. right. <laughs> she is. I live in Florida. So the sun is my enemy. I am naturally at odds with the sun being a redheaded dude. It is my time to shine. No pun intended in Washington state where the sun doesn't shine. It's just beautiful. Um, but, but yeah, so I'm hoping that obviously there is some dark times going on right now, but hopefully something good will come out of it. Do you have, when you look at what's going on, obviously you're not in cartoon network or HBO or, or any of the people that are having just an upheaval right now. Um, but when you look at it as, as, what you've done and what you've created and where you've come from over this last 30, 40 years of your career. Uh, do you have an optimistic, you know, optimistic approach to it? Do you think something good is going to happen from all of this or are we? Yeah. I, I'm like the woman in Washington. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, the thing that cannot be stopped is the innate optimism of the most negative creative person in the world. Mm-hmm is about creating the next thing. Yes. What's next that's on my mind? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the great thing is every time you're about to have a baby, yes. every time a baby is born, we're increasing the stock of optimistic, creative people who want to create the next thing. Yes. And those people can't be stopped whether they create television or movies or whether they create books or canvases or whether they create restaurants and recipes, it doesn't matter. The human spirit in its most negative play, I guarantee you that in the bowels of North uh, Korea, 
there's some person that's imagining a future oh, yeah. and what things could be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in the grand sweep of history, I have great optimism. Yeah. Um, in the, sh- you know, in the short term, there's pluses and minuses. Like I said, it's frustrating for people like me, but believe me, believe me when I tell you how many older uh, executives and creative people I frustrated when I was a young person saying, get out of my way. Like the new people are in town. We're going to like, we're going to do it like you never saw it before. Yeah. And by the way, we kind of did. God bless us. You know, and some of those older creative people came along for the ride. Some of them retired. Some of them got angry and threw bombs at us and they didn't kill us. You know, so it is. So, so, so be it. Yeah. Um, I, I have a great faith in the creative spirit, by the way, particularly the American creative spirit. Absolutely. You know, where, where for all of our faults and problems and God bless us, we're going through a lot of them now. Mm-hmm. We do have this innate optimism that we can change the world. Absolutely. And sometimes that world is really small. Sometimes it's just within our household. Sometimes it's writ large. Sometimes it fails in a big way. But more often than not, over time, we constantly are reinventing the world in a way that makes us sort of wake up and smile, which is great. It absolutely is, man. And what better way to end it and rotate in the fans' questions than that lovely sentiment right there? Awesome. So awesome. before before we get to the fans' question, there is two fans, or there is, I'm a fan myself, but there is two fans' questions that Julian likes to ask before we get to the real fans' questions. Uh, and the first one is you've got your Mount Rushmore, four plus one. I've heard on this list, it doesn't have to be just animators, but since, like I said, we're doing animation, I'd love for it to be just animators. Um, but I've heard Van Halen, I've heard people use their wife or husbands as their um, inspiration too. So it's completely your choice. You get four on your Mount Rushmore plus one. Who's going to make the route Mount Rushmore? That's really unfair. I know, it's great. <laughs> that, that's really unfair. So for me, it's really kind of simple because it breaks down to four mm-hmm. john paul george ringo the Beatles. okay that was <laughs> okay they they set me up for everything that has happened in my adult life in a way that i couldn't have ever imagined and, and continue to inspire me to figure out how to work with creative people and be a fan of people like i was of them um so they're my four uh, the fifth, um, my plus one has to be my wife, okay, Robin Sloan, um, who from the day I had my first blind date with her, um, continues to teach me more about what I do for a living to this very day than ever before. Man, that's beautiful. Uh, I'm, I'm really glad, glad you brought up your wife because there's been a few people that have brought up their significant others. And it's always, it's always, I don't want to say it's refreshing because that doesn't seem like it's a strong enough word, but I'm just going to use refreshing. It's delightful. I guess I like hearing that. I like when I see that somebody that has somebody, cause we've been married, my wife and I have been married for 14 years next year. Um, so 
it's always great when somebody else has somebody they can lean on, especially during the tough times, especially during the good times. And then it, you guys help each other grow, right? You guys are going in the same direction. Everybody wants the same thing. Everybody wants something great for their kids, great for themselves, you know? So we're all pushing for the same goals, but it's just, like I said, it's nice to see that you can lean on somebody uh, like your wife. And then like you said, well, Robin and I aren't as smart as you guys. And it's our second marriage is both of us. So we, we learned a lot and, um, I'm trying to remember this year, I think is our 29th anniversary. Like, Oh, couldn't be better. Be better. Thank you. What, uh, what, what day is the, uh, anniversary? November 22nd, no- which oh. for people in my generation, I know exactly really what tough. that is. Yes. 11, yeah. 22, 63. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a really tough day. I can't believe we got married on that day. But then again, some of my uh, very favorite people, it's their birthday too. So I'll just yeah. think about their birthdays. That's probably a better way to ha- think about it than the whole JFK. Ladies and gentlemen, that was a history thing. That was the day President John F. Kennedy was assassinated uh, in Dallas, Texas. Yeah. Uh, and if you're, a, if you're a reader, if you like Stephen King, it's a phenomenal book, 112263. Um, I, I, will, I will also point out, apropos of nothing, um, I heard about that shooting in the exact same class that I first heard about the Beatles. Really? So there, there are, yeah, there are real positives for me in that, in that memory also. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you can find the sunshine in any kind of a negative day like that is, I mean, you got to really push towards that one. All right. And then the other exactly. one is what two books that every fan of animation or everybody in animation should have on their bookshelves? Well, you know, we've mentioned the one and it was the first one that I mentioned to you of Mice and magic um written by uh, leonard malton and jerry beck and it's a history of cartoons pretty much up until let's call it 1980 and it was what inspired me to figure out my role there you go my role in the cartoon business was inspired by reading that book which up until then I had just watched cartoons like anyone else. I never considered being in them. I don't know how to draw. I don't know how to write. I barely know how to produce. <laughs> but reading but reading that book is what gave me the seeds of what became my cartoon career. So, you know, that was fantastic. The second one, that's really tough. That's really, really hard. You know what? I would say that any fan of cartoons ought to find any book that they can as to how to writers write, mm-hmm. how writers write, because, you know, we think about um, cartoons solely from a visual standpoint. And, you know, probably a lot of the best cartoons were created by artists who drew their stories right on their storyboards rather than typing out a script or anything like that. But the truth is, is that storytelling and story writing has been the same for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And too many people in the cartoon business are too focused just on the visual frame and on the character design. So whether it's, you know, Stephen King did a fa- fabulous book about learning how to write. Yep. I have it on the, the guy who did. Yeah. The guy who did the, um, what's now four or five volume uh, history or, or biography of Lyndon Johnson just did a book on how he, how he writes. Mm-hmm. 
any book that shows you how a creative person does what they do, whether it's a comedian, a musician, a writer, an artist, a painter, whatever, a chef, one of the greatest books that I've read of the last 20 years was about a fiction editor at the New Yorker wanting to learn how to become a chef. Yeah. And, and how he went, I think it's called, it might be called Heat. Um, all I remember is it has a yellow cover. I'll, I'll send you a link to it. I'll find it. Okay. Um, and his process of how he learned what happened in a, in a restaurant um, kitchen, which is sort of the written equivalent of the bear, mm-hmm. is really perfect. So any, any, the second book would be anything that is about creative process. I think that's really it. Beautiful. And then, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, any chance you've read the Disney Revolt? It just came out a few months back by Jake Friedman. I did not, but I know about it because I kept getting inv- invited to a book party that I couldn't make it to. Man, oh man. I just finished. I got Jake coming on, I think, on Wednesday um, to talk Fabulous. about Fabulous. Boy, is this book good. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, go out and buy it. It's the uh, labor strike of the Disney on the Disney side from uh, and it goes into detail. I didn't know half. Obviously, whenever you read something, you don't know half the stuff you're reading about till you read it. But just to know that the mafia was involved in labor. Stri- well, I knew that because I wanted to be in the mafia when I was younger. That's a different story for a different time. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, that was before I knew what mafia really was. I only saw the right. first fucking three minutes of goodfellas when they're talking about oh you know nobody ever messed with them on the streets they got to eat good food you know they got to play cards and games they got to drive the nicest cars wear the best clothes i thought that's what being the mafia was when i was younger so it's uh it's a phenomenal book uh and like i said i'm looking forward to chatting with that guy because i I, going i'm always interested to write something like this now i don't want to say it's easier but it's definitely easier because of the internet you can go to so many sources i mean this is how we connected i connected because i saw i think i saw your email or saw a post and i was like fred cyber i know the name i want to know more about him and then i we did two episodes back to back with you uh now we're on the third one um so the internet for sure has made it a lot easier but the, the amount of detail this 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 young man did and i'm only saying he's young because he looks young as hell on the jacket cover we're probably the same age but i mean just to know the detail he went through and everything he had to comb through it was a phenomenal book um but nonetheless man so we're gonna we're gonna rotate into the fans questions like i said we won't be able to get to all of your uh fans questions ladies and gentlemen because like i said there was quite a few um but you had quite a and, few and because i give really long answers so <laughs> oh, I, I like that uh so we'll start off uh, from our YouTube channel here, Alexander underscore Austin 1995 wants to know uh, what are three adaptations, novels, comics, or games you think be great animated by Frederator? Why those three, and what would you hope they could mean for an audience? Well, I'll only point out that I can't talk about Frederator anymore as to what they could or could not do because I'm not at Frederator anymore. Um, and so I can only talk about Fred and I. I find that an almost impossible question to answer. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm trying to adapt a series of kids graphic novels right now called Mr. Wolf's Class, Mm -hmm. which I'm really excited about. The author, Aaron Nell Steinke, um, is a cartoonist who became a fourth grade teacher to support his family. And he's written these series of graphic novels about being a teacher, which are fantastic. Mm You know, I, I don't have a good answer for that. I'm not, um, 
most of the novels that I read are mystery and crime novels. Mm-hmm. And I think some of them could be adapted. I tried to adapt Agatha Christie mysteries, but I can't get the rights. Why does the name sound um, familiar? What is that sounds really Agatha familiar. Christie. Agatha Christie is one of the great mystery writers of the 20th century. She did um, murder on the Orient express. That's what I know her from. Yes. Yeah. She's done. She's done, um, you know, Poirot on uh, uh, public television and now on Acorn TV. I don't think um, so. that's her famous, her famous detective. Um, she's the most famous whodunit mm-hmm. mystery author of the 20th century. Beautiful. So I wanted to adapt those, but I haven't been able to get the rights to do it. Um, I think they would be fantastic. I, I can't answer that. It's 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 a question that's unanswerable because there's just too many things that are great. Beautiful. Um, this one's fun. Uh, Jay Guajardo, I think. I uh, apologize if I uh, mispronounced that. Uh, is there a secret formula to a successful long-running cartoons? Examples being Looney Tunes, Scooby-Doo, Tom and Jerry, SpongeBob, to name a few. Or do many cartoons become victims of budgets and or trends? Okay, those are two separate questions entirely. Let's start with the second question first. Okay. Yes, many films of any kind can be destroyed by budgets, executives, networks, all that type of stuff. It's hard. It's hard to make something wonderful. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter whether it's cartoons or live action or a novel or a painting or, you know, or a podcast. It's hard to do something great. Yeah. And sometimes budgets are in the way, but most of the time it's the creator themselves that are in their own way. Here's the secret formula. I never made TV shows. I was a promotion and branding guy at the beginning of my career. And I was working, consulting with Nickelodeon, and I didn't understand anything about kids. I didn't have kids at the time, and I didn't understand anything about kids' television. And they started figuring out that they wanted to do their own original programming rather than licensing Yogi Bear cartoons. Mm -hmm. So I went to the head programmer. I said, so what's the secret formula? Is there something, you know, special for kids? And she looked at me like I was an idiot. (laughs) And she said, Fred... We look for exactly the same thing that everyone looks for, whether it's Hitchcock, Scorsese, Jerry Seinfeld, Larry David. Here's what we look for. Great characters and great stories. That's the secret formula. And by the way, I will just point out, if it was easy, we'd all be rich and famous. Absolutely. It's the hardest thing to do. Make great characters with great stories. Um, so... They wanted to put a little context to this next question. He said, uh, not asking Fred to do one uh, just on how he feels about them in general. Um, he wants to know uh, romantic phantom. How does he feel about current reboots? How do you feel about reboots? I guess. I feel that the good ones are great mm-hmm. and the bad ones should be thrown away. <laughs> Simple. Pretty standard. <laughs> well, you know, the, the, the thing about it, it's, Again, um, because I came out of my music fandom into all of these business, I think of everything like songs. Yeah. And, you know, there are people who take great songs and make a complete mash of them. 
And then there are people who take great songs and make them greater. Mm -hmm. You know, so I happen to be reading this morning about one of my favorite pop songwriters from the 60s, Carol King, and her husband, Jerry Goffin. And I loved the hits that they made in the 60s, you know, and one of their greatest hits of all time was Aretha Franklin's uh, Natural Woman, which they wrote in 24 hours. That's insane. And Aretha, and Aretha brought a lifetime of magic to it. Three years, four years later, Carol King embarked on a solo career and she did a remake of it. And she made it just as beautiful, just as wonderful, and told a completely different story with it than Aretha had. Yeah. That's possible. It is possible in a reboot to grab the essence of those characters and give them new life and new stories and, and new magic. Sadly, that rarely happens. <laughs> Yeah, just look at the 2016 version of Powerpuff Girls, but they also were missing a very, 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 and I cannot under, I cannot state this enough, very vital part of that, and that part was they didn't fucking have Craig McCracken. If you are going to go and make a show, I really think you should have the guy there that created these characters. Well, no and yes. Yeah. Um, sure. If the creator has something more to say. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, Marvel movies are made without their creators. Yes. And they opened up a completely new world. Those are in many ways could be called reboots. Mm -hmm. How many, how many times has the birth of Superman been retold in a comic book? Probably just and, as many times as Batman's parents death. Exactly. And some of them are wonderful and some of them are, okay, I've seen this story. Mm -hmm. So it really depends. And, um, but I will say that as a whole, a few of the reboots are really wonderful and most of them are, you know, forgettable. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, looking forward to the, the, uh, the, the bigger question is why are there so many reboots? Yeah, that is a big, because and, people kind of cash in on properties that already already have an audience or already have a yeah. you know yes that that's the simple answer the non-simple answer which i won't go into in detail because we could do a two-hour podcast on this one subject is in the, the era of streaming in the era of streaming no one has figured out how to help the audience fall in love with new things mm. no one zero and they don't even try, which is the most tragic, sad part of it. Mm -hmm. Once someone figures out how to get someone to fall in love with something new, the era of the reboot will go away. So we won't go into detail, but what I, what I got from that is we're going to have to do a part four and we're all going to talk about reboots on the next part. However, there is one question I have from that one. Do you think it is because everything is thrown up at once, right? So Netflix, they'll put an entire season of Stranger Things up there. Obviously, that's a horrible example to kind of use because that show I, is phenomenal, right? But I don't think it, I don't think that helps. Yeah. But I don't think it's the core of the issue. Okay. 
So <clears throat> okay, when it, well, let, let's look at it, just a quick analogy. When they put a movie up, mm-hmm. they don't put up a movie in 10 parts. They yeah. put up the movie. Mm-hmm. The question is, is that they help you as a potential audience member figure out why you might love that movie to give it a shot. Yeah, that makes sense. Right? Yeah. So the challenge is helping the audience become a fan. Mm-hmm. You're a smart person, Fred. They need you over at Cartoon Network now. Um, I don't want to be negative anymore, but we need you back, Fred. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, they, they don't feel the same way, which if I were them, I would understand. Who do you want me to write, Fred? Because we'll write a whole bunch of letters if you want to go it, back. It won't make any difference. Oh, man. Because... because Anyone who has the responsibility to be in charge has to believe that they can solve the problem or they won't. Ah, man, what a bygone era. What an era to grow up at. Because like I said, we had the greatest cartoons of all time. There will be great cartoons again. Don't worry. Yeah, I can't wait. Yep. Jamma Show wants to know, what was the process like on world premiere tunes? We don't have to go super into detail, but does anything stick out uh, for, from that era to you? Here, here, was the quick, here was the quick secret to that. We were open to everybody and everything. Yeah. And we were willing to sift through 5,000 pitches to find the 48 cartoons that we made. In hopes that we might find one that was magic. As it turned out, we found out some more. Yeah. But the biggest thing is to not believe that you know the answers. To believe that we got into this in the Adventure Time section, but to understand that the next creative person has the answer, not you, not meaning me or my team. We did not have the answer. It was the next creative person who walked in the door mm-hmm. and we were open to every person coming through our doors. Yeah. Uh, flashing back to that for just a second. Do you remember what you laughed at? What they called you out on what you said you laughed at? Do you remember that that part of the pitch you left? Yeah, Adventure Time. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you remember what it was that made you laugh or was it a joke or was it a scene or? Oh, I mean, if you look at that first short, there are a dozen places to laugh, and I laughed yeah. at every one of them, <laughs> right? Because Penn understood, he completely understood how to platform a joke that maybe didn't seem like a joke, but was hilarious. Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, ooh, this one's a good one. Uh, Creationary wants to know. What has been the most rewarding part of your job? The next person. Yeah. Next person up, like as far as training or? The next person who walks in the door and makes me realize that that person has a key to the future. Yeah. That's gotta be always that way. Yeah. It's always that way. And I'm always looking for it. That's good, man. Um, I think we've answered this one possibly, I think in the beginning, Uh, but is there a project that you're most proud? Yeah. Well, we didn't answer this one. We talked about your entire career, but is there a project that you are the most proud of? And if so, why? 
I'm proud of all my kids. I have two. I'm not proud of one of them more than the other. Mm-hmm. And that's the same with every one of these projects. Yeah. Every project I've been involved with, that creative person has come to the table and put everything they have on the line mm-hmm. for the hopes that it's going to work like crazy. Yeah. So I love every one of them, every single one, even the ones that I can't remember. Yeah. Well, that's a good way to have them, man. Cause I guess you guys had a lot. Um, uh, this one's funny. Uh, puppet jazz. The only reason I did this one is because I had the term jazz in the name. So I think it'd be a little funny. Uh, <clears throat> Puppet Jazz wants to know, mayonnaise or Miracle Whip? Neither. Oh, mayonnaise all the way for me. I can't do Miracle Whip. My wife's family does that shit, and it's just. Oh. I'm with I I if if I if I had to make a choice, it would be mayonnaise. Yeah, good man. <laughs> uh, we got some more here. Uh, I took a whole bunch and uh, kind of flipped through them by accident. Um, Pitor, uh, and I, I'm not going to be able to pronounce your name correctly. He's a listener from Poland. Uh, he wanted to say, not really super it on the screen. Super their names on the screen when you're putting them that way. I should do that. You know, you'll, yeah. It's a smart. Fred, I've already said it like three or four times. You're fucking smart, man. You should be. I'm a TV producer. <laughs> Fuck, that's a brilliant idea. Uh, Larry buckle up because you got some stuff you're going to be editing here pretty soon uh but peter wants to know not really questions he doesn't want to know but he's like but i'm just wondering what both of you are thinking about the current situation at warner brothers and cartoon network we talked about that and their streaming services also tell fred hi from a guy from poland uh what he said about his first day at hanna-barbera was pretty interesting uh so this guy's actually been listening since probably like the first couple episodes i dropped uh, and he really liked wow. uh, your first day uh at hanna-barbera um Let's see. Uh, AGSMA wanted to know. Well, wait a minute. Tell him, look, tell him, one, my mother's family comes from a similar part of the world, from Bulgaria, which is south of Poland, south uh, east of Poland. Mm-hmm. So um, I appreciate it. The second thing I'll say is just a shout out to everyone in Poland for what's going on and how they're helping out everybody in Ukraine. Yeah. So um uh, the fact that we can give this guy um, any smiles at all in life, I'm down for it. It's it's been interesting seeing. Um, so we launched all of audio back in January. Uh, it was a big push after I found out there was a lot of fans that were. There's some fans that were deaf. There were some fans that were blind. There's some fans that were on the spectrum. So I tried to make it where everybody that wanted to consume something like this could consume it. Sure. Um, so one of my favorite things to do at the end of every week is to look at where the episodes are being downloaded from. And the UK, uh, for sure, Eastern Europe, um, I've had a blow up over the last fuck, probably since March, April timeframe, right around the time of the war and stuff like that. So I've had a lot of people write in uh, and they say these cartoons, man, they really helped growing up and they, they help now. So you guys have gotten some people, Fabulous. Uh, some good things to really look forward to. Um during production and in retrospect, and this is by AGSMA, um, during production and in retrospect, does Fred have a preferred cartoon and or creator involved? We just talked about you love them all the same. Uh, and what a cartoon. Or does he have uh, or does he see each entry equally and without any bias? Thank you for the wonderful memories, Mr. Cyber. Best regards, Antonio Alves. So we, we just heard that all of them, you know, sp- kind of come yeah. together. 
Thank you, Antonio. I appreciate it. Um, I'm glad um, we can make you smile. But like I said, every one of these people, even the pitches that we don't say yes to, mm -hmm. remember, every one of these people is getting up. And even though it's a cartoon, even though they're primarily comedy, yep. every one of those people is getting up and doing the equivalent of taking off all their clothes and saying, please love me. <laughs> And, you know, you got to really give it to every one of those people. I couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. You know, they, 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 they all get props from me and they should get props from every one of your listeners. Absolutely, man. And the only reason I brought that one up is to make sure, like I said, there's so many people that reach out. Like I've had so many people come out and he's like, I wish I could do what you do, like podcasting, talk to people. Cause I find this extremely fun and it's really easy. And so many people, yeah. like, I've got so many great things to say about these people that I, I've, I've, you know, watched these cartoons with, I grew up with cartoon network raised me or Nickelodeon raised me or Disney raised me, you know, he's like, but I can't find the way to tell them. Thank you. So the reason I read that one is because I want you guys to know just just for me, I'm I'm a fan. I love what you guys have done, but there's so many people out there who love, absolutely loved what you guys have done. Um, it means a lot to us too. Cameron wrote in. Um, man, there's there's a lot of good ones. So I'm gonna try to pick. Uh, try to pick. There's probably the best one. Um, do you have any specific long term goals? Do you feel there are people in your corner who you can count on to help you reach them? Obviously, we talked about your wife. She's your rock. You know, she's the person you lean back onto. But do you have any long term goals left? Yeah, I have the same long-term goals that I always did. Yeah. More, better. Yeah, that's a good goal to have. That's two good I, goals to have. I, I just want to, you know, look, I, I think I said to you in one of our previous podcasts that I finally realized when I was about 60 what I did for a living, mm -hmm. which is I was a, a fan first and foremost, and then I had created a profession around being a fan. Yeah. I look for people to be a fan of and seeing if there's any way I can help them. I think I've told you, I just released an album that I recorded 50 years ago of somebody that I was a great fan of. And I had a, a concert that had never been released. I was thrilled to be able to do it. Yeah. You know, I, I, I will give all the money to his estate. Mm. You know, I'm a fan first and foremost and all I want to do is find more people to be fan of and help them better than I did before. Absolutely, man. That's that's we need more Fred Seiberts in the world. This is this is some really good stuff that you're putting. Well, out. we have a Julian Hester. That's good enough. <laughs> nah, man. Uh, I think we'll uh, we'll probably end it uh, on this one. Ben Venista wants to know. Uh, would you support giving any of the obscure Cartoon Network original series their own official complete series releases, even if they're tax write-offs? Now, I've heard the only reason I brought this question up, because I've heard a couple different times that a few of the shows, whenever they did the I think it was a Time Warner merger, early 2000s. That was that one. OK, uh, that a couple shows, one of them being from Gendy, Symbiotic Titan, that was a tax write-off and they really couldn't do. You might be able to know more than this than I do. Um, but since it was considered a tax write-off. Uh, they can't really release anything from that show or bring it back or put it on a DVD. Do you know anything Look, about that situation? But I, about something like that? I don't, Okay. but I've heard a lot certainly recently about people's complaints about tax write-offs and this and that and the other thing. So I'm going to put it in really simple terms. I love it. 
if somebody was going to take away your house, if you didn't stop doing something that you'd been doing, Mm -hmm. would you let them? If somebody was going to take away your parents' house or take away your car or take away your job. So look, in the, in the most simple terms, in the latest merger over at Warner's, let's put it this way. Their former owner, AT&T, bought the company for about $90 billion. So much money. The company is now worth $30 billion. They have lost $60 billion in value. They're desperately trying to not become bankrupt. So, yeah, I'm unhappy with a lot of the decisions they've made, and they affect me directly. Yeah. But can I tell them that they should or shouldn't do something now? Did they handle some things in a stupid way? Yes. Were they not um, polite enough to creative people? Absolutely. Have I done things that are not nice to creative people? I guess so. Did I mean to? I didn't. But they're just doing what you would do if the hurricane was coming for your house, if the fire was coming for your house, for your kids, for your parents, whatever. Wouldn't you do anything you had to do to save it? Yes. They're trying to do that. Now, do they take too much money for themselves in the process? They don't think so. Whether we think so or not, you know, we could debate that issue. But basically, the hurricane, the fire, they're both coming for their house. Mm-hmm. They're trying to save it. So I, I don't like it. Yeah. Can I blame them? I can't because I'm not on the inside. I don't really know what's going on. You. I can't I can't answer it any more clearly than that. Yeah. And I mean it's a it's kind of a pessimistic way to end on it, but we did talk some very positives because like you said when you came in, man, you kind of gotta cut a few fingers off to save the hand. Uh and anything that burns down also tends to regrow stronger, deeper. Yeah, deeper. now here's what here's what's not gonna happen. <clears throat> And we should make this really clear. There's no 20-year-old or 30-year-old or 40-year-old or 50-year-old that is ever going to feel like they're eight years old again. Mm -hmm. And when we saw a cartoon that we loved when we were eight years old, one, it didn't mean it was good. It just means we like it. Yeah. And two, we're not going to get that feeling again as a kid. We might get it as an adult but it's going to be something completely different. When I was seven, I fell in love with Huckleberry Hound. It's what led me to run Hanna-Barbera, honestly. And then I got there and I looked at Huckleberry Hound again. I went, what were you thinking? It wasn't too good. But I could fall in love with Bosch on Amazon Prime because I love mystery and cop shows. Mm -hmm. And I feel great doing it. So there's going to be great cartoons again. End of story. Are they going to happen when we want them to happen? Who the hell knows? Are they going to happen? Absolutely. Greatness is around the corner. The only question is how long is it going to take us to get around the corner? Absolutely, man. 
And like I said, Fred, uh, I've really enjoyed these last couple of years being able to converse with you because like I've said it so many times on so many of my podcasts, there's a few people that I can reach out to and I'm going to get a straight answer. I'm going to get an honest answer. Or if I'm in the wrong direction, you guys are going to point me in it. It's been you. It's been Robert Alvarez. It's been Linda Siminski. It's been Randy Myers. And there's a couple of people that I could probably put in there, but I don't want to spend an entire show just, you know, giving out all my sources. Go find your own sources, ladies and gentlemen. But no, this in our past podcast, did we ever talk? about robert yes we did we talked uh because i think robert actually mentioned it too because i brought it up it was right after you sent me the article um because it was because i don't know if you mentioned him until the second podcast but you said there was uh con- friction back and forth and he's like fred knows that's what an understatement doing. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah but he's he's, he's the greatest oh he's I've, the greatest I, I've said it on so many occasions. That man is a national treasure. Anytime I get to talk to him, there's some stories I can't tell because it was off the record and some are on the record, but some of his stories are some of my favorite stories of all time, because very rarely in this industry and just any industry, really, a lot of people don't like to rock the boat in a sense. He's just torpedo straight ahead. He's like, I'm going to say whatever the fuck I want. He's like, I'm 70 something (laughs) years old. He's like, what the hell do I got? Fuck it burn it down and he's just going for it i was like man i i'm so by glad. the way he w- he was like that when i met him when he was 40 <laughs> and my guess is he was like that when he was 10 oh 100 so <laughs> he, he he all showed, right he showed me uh he showed me a picture of him and it was like man look at this picture it's back in the cartoon network days uh right around the the the, the what a cartoon and the cartoon cartoon premieres mm-hmm. and he's like i wasn't a silver fox anymore i, I had color in my hair still <laughs> I was like, God damn. <laughs> so yeah, man. Uh Fred, uh Me if, too. <laughs> if there's if there's some people out there that, that want to say, hey, I love what you do, where can they find you on the old social medias? Oh, uh, I'm on Twitter at Fred Seibert. I'm at Instagram at Fred Seibert. Um and uh there's always uh they can email me, Fred at Fredfilms.com. Beautiful. And all those links will be down in the description. So you can just point, click, say, hey, Fred, I love what you did, man. Well, like I said, Fred, awesome. it's always a blast to get to talk to you. He's been Fred. I've been Julian. This has been a what's. Oh, this is new, too. You haven't heard this one live yet. Uh, this is my little sign off. It's, it's great. I, I got this one when I was trying to take a shower one time. Uh, but he's been Fred. I've been Julian. It's been the What's My Head podcast. And this has been another piece and a huge piece of your childhood. Good night. Thanks again, Fred. Julian, that was great. My guest next week is character designer Andy Bialk. Enjoy the teaser. I just went from show to show. I mean, from Dexter's to Powerpuff Girls to Samurai Jack. I mean, you guys were going. Foster's came in right after that one. So, I mean, you guys were obviously had a proven track record. You guys worked phenomenally together, you know, so everybody was kind of meshing. And you guys went from show to show to show. But would you have or echo that same sentiment? Like that was the greatest time as far as your career goes or? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know. I can I can pick I can pick through the the whole gamut of of you know good points, but we had such a freedom back mm. then. You know the industry just wasn't what it was. There wasn't as in, much involvement as far as executives writing. I mean Dexter's we just did outlines. We didn't have scripts yet. That's unheard of, right? And uh, so if you were storyboarding, you were writing it as you were boarding it. That does that just doesn't happen anymore. Gandy was also allowing us because I did a couple boards. I know I did a bunch of character designs and effects and props and all that stuff too but i did about four or five storyboards for dexters as well gandy was letting his voice direct so like whoever heard of that i mean he brought us into the recording studio and he allowed us allowed us to give direction voice direction to the to the voice actors so that was a real exciting and cool opportunity so big big ups to gandy for doing that 
And um, and so that's just part of the freedom that I'm talking about. The executives in Cartoon Network were all in Atlanta. There was like one or two of them here in Hollywood at Hanna-Barbera. It wasn't until Powerpuff that they they really kind of dove in and they demanded, I believe, scripts and, and have much, much more uh, control and input. But from the early days of Dexter's, I mean, we were riding our bikes down the hallways. We were running around screaming. We were like staying until like midnight, like running around Hanna-Barbera, trying all the costumes like Fred Flintstone um, down in the basement, like listening to records. I mean, we were young. I was 22, I think, when I started. So, you know, it was this sort of like college extension fun. I mean, it was our life. It was it was so exciting.